on the faith life. And so we have material. The material is in this. But if you haven't received the material for, for lesson number eight, uh, do we still have some of those, Janice, some lesson eights? If you don't have a lesson eight, you can raise your hand and she can get that lesson eight to you. We went over that last week just briefly, and we're going to briefly go over it again. We're not going to complete Lesson 8 till next week, and you'll understand why in just a moment. But if you haven't gotten Lesson 8, you can, you can get that from Janice. <coughs> now, if you were with us last week, you know that we introduced the first two paragraphs of Lesson 8. Okay, the first two paragraphs. And, and it basically, it comes down, the second paragraph says... The journey that takes place, that's between whenever a promise is given and a promise is, is fulfilled and you hold it in your hand. The, uh, the time between when it is given and when it's received is called the pathway of the promise. Right here, Janice, there's one right here. Have you only got one? Uh, okay, maybe you can look on with somebody if you can pick up. Ralph, do you have one? Do y'all have one that you can share or something? I think we're out. Yeah, I think so. But if y'all can share. Okay, they can share. All right, that's fine. I want to make sure everybody gets one. But what we introduced to you last week is a concept called the pathway of the promise. And I want to say how many of you, that's not last week, it's two weeks ago. All right, so you've had two weeks to study, all right? That's right. Byron was here and did a great job, I heard. He was William was one of those who asked me when I was going to be out again, Byron, if you don't know. He said, you don't know when I, when I was going to be away. He's going to come for that night. But uh, anyway, whenever we, we introduced that to you, we talked to you about the pathway of the promise. And I want to see how many of you remember. And how many of you remember you had an assignment? Yeah. Oh, I see anybody. I see all those heads looking down. Y'all like math class who forgot to do their homework, okay? You kind of did, okay. Well, I shared with you that the pathway of the promise begins when? No, when does it, not, not any particular one, when does it begin? When does the pathway of the promise begin? It begins when the promise is given. When you receive a promise from God, you've you got a situation, you're asking God to do it, and, and then God speaks to you in the rhema word, the living word. He gives you that promise in your heart that he's going to answer that, he's going to work and move in that. That's when the pathway of the promise begins. That's the beginning of that pathway. When does the pathway end? The pathway ends when? Whenever you hold it in your hand. Whenever the promise uh, becomes a reality, when you have that there, okay? So this, the pathway begins when you get the promise. It ends whenever you receive it and you have it in your hand. And the journey between the beginning and the end is the pathway of the promise, all right? Now that pathway can be a long period of time or it can be a short period of time. We don't know how long that pathway will be. But one thing we do come to know is, and I shared this with you also, that pathway between when the promise is given and the promise is received is not a waste of time. You remember? It's not a waste of time, but it is rather... Preparation time. John, you are doing good. I knew you set him here in front for a good reason. John studied. He's ready to answer all those questions. All right. 
It is not a waste of time. It is preparation time. All right? Now, we gave the illustration, the biblical illustration of who? Who was the character that we talked about? It was Joseph. That's right. And, and what was the promise that God gave to Joseph? He gave it to him through a vision. You remember that? And he told him what? That his, that his brothers and even his mother and father, our brothers, were going to what? They're going to all bow down to him. Okay, did, was, did that make him popular with his brothers? Not at all. Matter of fact, it made him so unpopular that they decided they wanted to kill him. But instead of killing him, they ended up selling him into slavery. Remember that? So remember, Joseph has received this promise, a great promise of God. He's going to be a ruler one day. His brothers are going to bow down before him. Surely it is going to be just a high road all the way up to when he's going to be that prime minister. Is that what happened? Nope. First place he lands in the pit, right? Because his brothers throw him in a pit and they're going to kill him. And they finally sell him into slavery. He goes over into Egypt and he is sold into a man's name, house named Potiphar. And he goes in there, and like I told you, he's been blessed with administrative skills. God has equipped him to be a ruler, to be a leader. So everything he touches turns to gold. I mean, just whatever he does, he manages it well. So whenever he is in there in Potiphar's house, Potiphar puts him in charge of the house, and his house just gets blessed and blessed and blessed. Things are going good. You think he's going to spend the rest of the time there? Till Potiphar's wife does what? She lusts after him, seduces him, and he refuses and the last time he refuses, he left his coat. And then she lies about it. Remember, says that he's tried to seduce her. Tells Potiphar about it. Potiphar believes his wife instead of believing Joseph. And he gets thrown where? Into the prison. So he's gone from the pit to Potiphar's house to the prison. That is not the way you imagine getting trained to be a prime minister. That's not, the, that's not the scope. I mean, you know, usually you, you, you think it's going to look, look a little bit better. That's not what happened to him. When he went into prison, what happened? The prison leader of the prison, guards, that said, said what? Man, this guy's wise. Put him in charge of them. So when he puts him in charge of the prison, he, he just gets in charge of wherever he is. All right? And when he puts him in charge of prison, everything's going well. Till two people had, had dreams. You remember that? The baker and the cupbearer. And they had dreams and vision and and. Uh, Joseph said that he could interpret that, not him, but God through him could interpret that. So the, the cupbearer comes up, he says, this is what your dream says. You're going to be restored to the household of Pharaoh. Well, the baker was excited about that. He said, well, tell me what's happened to me. He said, your dream is you're going to have your head cut off. <laughs> Don't always believe somebody else's vision or dream is going to be good news for you. Amen. Well, that's exactly what took place. When the cupbearer then went back up in the Pharaoh's house, what happened? What did, what did Joseph tell him? Joseph said, get me out of here. Get me out of here. I don't deserve to be here. I was kidnapped and my brothers treated me bad. He, I'm telling you what, he had a whole litany of excuses why he needed to get out of there. What did the cupbearer do? Forgot. He went up there and he forgot. For how long? Two years. For two years. Now, did the cupbearer forget that just because he was uh, ADD or forgetful or whatever? Is that what? No. Why did he forget that? Because God was still working in Joseph's life. 
Remember how he gave you that passage in Psalm 105, if you remember, where it gives the idea that whenever he was in chains, that God himself was in chains with him. Remember that? And he was in those chains till the word of the Lord tested him and tried him until he became the man that he needs to be. And whenever Joseph becomes the man he needs to be, and that is to be the man he's supposed to be in the prison, it's going to require he be that person if he's going to be the same man in the palace. You're no different man in the prison than you are the palace or the palace of the prison. You're the same person. And what Joseph had to come to find out is, I've got to be the right kind of man in the prison. And God does that work as hard. And when God's word tested him, then what happened? Pharaoh has a vision, a dream. Nobody can interpret it. But the cupbearer did what? He remembered. <laughs> hey, there's somebody down in that prison who can help you. You know what the story is. He goes, interprets the dream. Pharaoh says, nobody wiser than you, I'll make you my prime minister. And so he is second in charge with a signet ring of Pharaoh on his hand, ruling over Egypt whenever a famine comes in the land and his brothers have nothing to eat and they're sent over to get food. And who do they have to come before? They come before the prime minister who is who? Joseph. And what do they do? They bow down before him. And what is that? That's called the end of the pathway. That is what had been promised him. That's going to take place. That same pattern is throughout the entire word of God. Okay, People get promises from God. They walk a pathway and that is fulfilled. Now, I gave you assignments last week. And, and what we're doing this week is, is basically going over your homework. All right? We're going over your homework. So I gave you some passages. I had you to write those down. Okay? Let's look at those passages that we had. And I told you these were some examples I want to look at. I gave you the first one was Abraham. We're going to hold him to last. And then I gave you David. David is an example. And then I gave you Moses as an example. And then I, I added some others to it as well. The nobleman in the, in the New Testament. That nobleman. And, and there's all kinds. There's Peter. There's, there's Paul. Everybody in Scripture almost who gets this promise is going to be uh, following that pathway. All right? So I want us to look at that. I want us to look at it. Before we do that, though, I always give you an example personally. Remember that? So let me give you the personal example, and this one has to do with us. How many of you remember, if you were here when I came here, I came here based on four promises. Y'all remember that? If you've been here, God sent me here before I answered whether I would come be a pastor. I, God told me to read the entire Word of God. So in one week's time, I sat down and read the entire Word of God. And wrote down what God told me. And God gave me four promises about coming here. And one of those promises is in Zechariah chapter 8 verse 5 and following. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in its street. Thus said the Lord of hosts, is it too difficult in the sight of the remnant of this people? In these days will it also be too difficult in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. God told me that there were going to be children playing in the streets. In other words, there are going to be abundance of children that are going to be in our midst. When I came here, we didn't have very many children in our church at all. But God told me there's going to be this abundance of children. Now, I didn't know how in the world that was going to happen. But in, into about the 11th or 12th year that we were here, God gave us a, a fresh vision. It was called the 2020, what we were supposed to be doing, 2020 vision. And one of those things that God told us to do was to start a Christian learning center, a children's learning center. Not before the church had daycare, 
years ago. And, and some people didn't know if it would work or not. But the Lord told us to do that. And our church invested in much money in, in getting it ready and, and in starting it up. And, and God brought us Candace to help us out to be able to do that. And now we're two and a half years into that. And we minister to about 130 to 140 children every day. Every day. And one of the neatest things is we have our staff meeting up on the third floor uh, so we can spread out a little bit more uh, during this COVID day. So we're up on the third floor. Right below that third floor is the playground for the preschoolers. And almost every time that we are up here and we're in staff meeting, it's the time for somebody to be playing. Because what you hear outside those windows is you hear children playing and they're laughing and they're having fun and all that. And every time we sit there and I think about that, the Lord reminds me of his promise that there will be children playing in the streets. You know, thankfully, they're not on Quintard. We've got them fenced in. <laughs> but but they're playing. Amen. And it's and, and it's a joy. Never did I know what we'd be doing or how we'd be doing that. But. Think about the potential of that. Think about the potential of 130 children and how many families we impact and have a chance to teach those children about Jesus and hopefully their families be influenced by that. How did that come about? Well, it took 12 years for that to happen. Didn't know how that was going to be. <coughs> but God brought that to pass. All right? One of those promises he has brought to pass. Hopefully, we'll continue to see it grow. All right. Let's go back to your homework. I want us to look at David, first of all. When I gave you David, I gave you some verses of Scripture. Remember that? I said that you would find in 1 Samuel, you turn there in your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, is going to be the beginning of the pathway. The beginning of that pathway. Now, the beginning of the pathway always begins when? When the what? When the promise is given, all right? So what happens in the life of David in chapter 16? Beginning in verse 1 all the way through 13 is when God tells the prophet Samuel to go to Bethlehem. You remember that? And that there he is going to anoint a new king. Now Saul had been the king, but Saul was disobedient. Saul did not do what God wanted to do. It was rebellious in his heart. And God chose another one to be the king who's going to be the king. And he tells him to go to Bethlehem to the house of Jesse. When he goes to the house of Jesse, he goes there and he, Jesse begins to walk his good-looking boys in front of the prophet. You remember that? And man, they're, they're good-looking guys. The first one is Eliab. You remember what, remember what uh, the prophet said? Surely this must be the one God has chosen because he is sure good-looking. He's a good-looking guy. He, he looks like a king if I've ever seen one. But God said... Nope, he's not the one. Not the one. He, he, he told him, he said, don't, don't look at the outside appearance. God looks at the heart. Well, then he goes through there. He brings through Abinadab. Nope, that's not the one. He brings Shammah through there. there are actually seven sons he brings through there. And not a one of them is acceptable. Not a one of them is one. So the prophet looks at Jesse and says, is this all the children you got? Is all the sons you have? Oh, no, I have one. I have the youngest or the least. And he's out keeping the sheep. Why in the world is he out keeping sheep? I mean, this is a lifetime experience for the prophet being in somebody's home. And whenever the prophet came to their home, why in the world 
did Jesse not get David to come see the prophet? I don't understand that one. He's out there keeping sheep. Well, we're not doing anything the prophet said to you. Go get him. And when you go, they go get him, look what happens in verse 13, okay? It's, oh, let me look at verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now what, 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 what just happened right there? Samuel just anointed David to be the next king of Israel. Right? He is going to be the next king of Israel. God has taken his spirit away from Saul, placed it upon David, and David is going to be the king. Now, that's in chapter 16. Isn't that chapter 16 we're in? Now, if you read over in chapter 17, does David become king? Chapter 17? Nope, doesn't become king. In chapter 18, does he become king? Nope, doesn't become king. Do you know, how to, you know where you have to read to? You have to get to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 5. All right? 2 Samuel chapter 5. He finally becomes king over all of Israel. That's the difference between when the promise is given and the promise is fulfilled. Now that pathway was not easy. Right? I mean, it wasn't an easy road. First thing you find out is, is he goes and he... Uh, He's going to play the harp or the lyre for, for Saul who has an evil spirit. And he, he, he plays that. He also becomes the armor bearer for Saul at one point. And then whenever they have a Philistine comes and challenges him named Goliath and everybody else is scared, what does David do? Little boy walks up there and said, I'll fight him. <laughs> I'll fight him. And so what does he do? He goes out, defeats the giant. Whenever that happens, then they come riding in. David and Saul come riding into town. And what did those women have to go singing? Be careful what you sing. What did those women go singing? Saul has killed his thousand, but David has killed his ten thousand. Oh, no. What did that do to Saul? Made him angry. Made him look at suspicion with David. And made him set out that he is going to destroy David. He does. He gets jealous of David. He tries to throw a spear and kill David. David eventually has to leave. He asks Jonathan to find out whether or not he could come back. Jonathan finds out that Saul hates David, not going to come back. So Jonathan tells him, you can't come back. So he is out living in the wilderness. And he's being chased the whole time by Saul. On two different occasions, he had the opportunity to kill Saul, but he didn't want to raise his hand against God's anointed. And, and they chased him all over the place. At one point, he had to go and be with the Philistine. Now, you're talking about the irony of that. The guy who kills the, the Philistine giant is now living amongst the Philistines. And the Philistines think more of him than the king. All right? I mean, it, it, you're talking about a tough time. He's having a hard road. And then he goes and finds out that Saul and Jonathan, his brother, and all the sons of Saul were killed by the Philistines. Now, Saul is dead, so naturally he's going to become a king, right? Nope. What happens? Judah makes him king, but Israel refuses to accept him. The rest of the tribes won't refuse to accept him. So a civil war has to happen. 
And after the Civil War happens, then finally David wins, and David becomes king. God said, you're going to be king, but there is some kind of pathway to walk through before you get there. So just because God gives you a promise does not mean it's going to be easy walking in the garden of life to get there. Sometimes it means you're going to go through preparation time. Sometimes it means you're going to go through some hard time. You may cry through the midst of it. But you're going to be the person you need to be when it's the right time because God's going to use this as preparation time, not a waste of time. All right? Now that was David. I want to give you that, that example of David. Let me give you another example. Let's talk about Moses. Let's talk about Moses. Now, the, the reason I, I love Moses is because he's a little bit shorter lived. I told you to look in Exodus chapter 3. Remember that? Exodus chapter 3. What's happened in the book of Exodus so far? Children of Israel have gone over when Joseph is the prime minister, and they live in the land of Goshen, and they have had children. Man, they have so many children, they just multiply. They're like rabbits. You know, they have children everywhere. They have, they have so many many children that the Egyptians become afraid that the Israelites are going to overrun them. So what they do? They told him, said, what you need to do is kill all the boys. All the boys need to be killed. The girls can still be living because they weren't worried about the girls going to be necessarily overthrow them. The girls could still be slave labor, but they didn't want the boys. So they tried to get the midwives to kill them, and the midwives refused to do that. You remember that? And then he said, then they said, throw them in the Nile River, and, and um, many of them were doing that. But then there was a child born who was a beautiful child. Well, all beautiful, all children are beautiful. But his mom and dad had faith enough, his mother especially, she refused to throw him into the Nile River. Kept him as long as she could, quiet, and then whenever he got too rambunctious, she had to put him out in a basket with pitch on it out there in the reeds of the Nile. And who finds this child, Pharaoh's daughter, she falls in love with the child, picks him up, takes him into the house, makes him a part of Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's people treat him like a prince. He's educated by all the means that Pharaoh had. He was trained to be a leader and a warrior. All those things are happening in his life. Okay, God's just working in his life. Till one day, he, uh, he's out walking among the Hebrews. He knows he's a Hebrew. He knows he's not an Egyptian. He's a Hebrew. Walking among the Hebrews and somebody was mistreating one of the Hebrews. And what did he do? He what? He killed that Egyptian. And what did he do with the Egyptian? Buried him in the sand. Not very well. Right? Buried him in the sand until the next day, whenever he comes out, and two Hebrews were fighting with each other and he tries to separate them. And one of the Hebrews said, what are you going to do to us? Kill us like you did an Egyptian? Oh, no. He's been found out. And because he's found out, Pharaoh is going to bring harm to him. So what does he do? He leaves and go to the backside of the Midian Desert. He's 40 years old. He's going to be out there in the Midian Desert, away from Pharaoh, to just spare his life. He meets Jethro, marries Jethro's daughter, and becomes a shepherd in the Midian Desert for 40 years. Right? Till one day... He sees something unusual. What was it? A burning bush. Not that a bush was burning, but it was burning and not being consumed. It just kept burning and burning and burning. What, 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 did, what did Moses do? He wanted to go see, man, he wanted to see this bush. So he gets over there close to the bush because he thinks, man, this is the most unusual bush I've ever seen in my life. Was it an unusual bush? No, it wasn't unusual. It, it wasn't unusual. Any old bush would do. 
right? Any old bush would do. It was the God in the bush who was shining because that which God shines and he doesn't consume, all right? When you get burnt out, that's because you're burning. Whenever God's burning inside of you, he doesn't burn you out. He just shines, all right? So when he goes up there, he says, take off your shoes, your own holy ground. He begins this conversation. And the conversation is this, Moses, I've chosen you. And you're going to go be the deliverer of the children of Israel. I hear their cries. You're going to go be the deliverer of the children of Israel. And, and you're going to go there and you're going to do what I tell you. And Pharaoh is going to let my people go. That's going to happen. Well, in the midst of that, in the midst of, of what's happening there in chapter 3, he gives Moses a promise. I don't know if you've ever seen this promise, but I want to show it to you. In verse 10 and following. Therefore, this is God speaking. Therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, this is God, Certainly I will be with you. Now here, you need to underline this. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have been, have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. Listen, you shall worship God at this mountain. That was God's promise to Moses that he was going to be successful getting the children of Israel out of Egypt. How's that a promise? He said, this is my sign to you. This is my promise to you. You're going to go into Egypt and you're going to come out of Egypt and you're going to worship here in this mountain again. You're going to come back here and you're going to worship here in this mountain. That was God's promise to Moses. Well, finally, Moses agrees to go. I mean, he's pretty, you know, argumentative about it. But, but finally, he agrees to go. And so he goes into Egypt. He returns back to that land where he had been run out of. And when he goes there, the first thing he does, he meets with the children of Israel and says, listen, I am here to deliver y'all. That's Amos' translation, but that's basically it. I, I'm, I'm here to deliver y'all. And what did the Israelites go? Hey, yay, yay. Everybody vote, 100%. We want Moses to be our pastor. Yes, amen, hallelujah, glory to God. Man, they were all excited. Because why? Because he's getting them out. So what does he do next? He goes to see Pharaoh. Go see Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, listen, God said for me to tell you to let my people go. Pharaoh said, that ain't happening. Then when Moses left, Pharaoh said, those, those Hebrews got too much time on their hand. I want you to make them make the same amount of bricks that they're supposed to have to make, a quota every day, but don't collect them any straw. You don't collect, it's going to double their work, double their work. So the next time the Hebrews go to work, they said, you got to have the same amount of bricks, but you don't get any straw. Because you got that leader over there who's come and run his mouth about y'all being set free. Y'all got too much time on your hands. Oh, boy. The next time they see Moses, they say, we're going to vote you out. We're voting you out. We do not want you to be our pastor. We don't want you. You are causing us trouble. That's exactly what. Read it. I promise. It's Amos' commentary, but that, it, it is in there, okay? All through that whole thing. They have to go through all the ten plagues. you remember that? All those ten plagues. And when they finally go to the Passover experience and when they ever get, get over there, I mean, this is tough times. This is tough times. Get to the Passover experience and finally Pharaoh says, okay, 
you can go. Get out of here. So they all pick up and they go as fast as they can to the Red Sea. When they get to the Red Sea, how are they going to get across? No boats. How are they going to get across? And about that time, wait a minute, about that time, you remember what happened? Pharaoh what? Changed his mind. He said, I ain't letting my slave labor go. Go get them. And so here he comes. They're coming after him. They've got Red Sea on one side, the Egyptian army coming to, to annihilate them on the other side. And what'd they say? Moses, you are a sorry pastor. I'm here. You are sorry. Why did you bring us out here just for us to die? Well, what did God have to do? God said, just raise up your raise that up and, and I'll, I'll put a I'll put a fire wall between you and them. Yeah, you know, y'all remember what Charlton Heston did? Y'all know that's not biblical, right? You know. Did y'all know Charlton Heston? He's, he's, he's not really Moses. And it didn't happen exactly the way he, he did it. I mean, you know, they're, they're like separating. They're running through. and in the, That's not what happened. Read your Bible. You know what happened? He made, a, he made a pillar of fire there and stayed there all night long. The, 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 the Egyptians were on one side, the Hebrews on the other side, and God was blowing a wind all night long to not only blow up the, stand up the water, but to dry it where it wasn't muddy. God was in no hurry. God's never in a hurry. He's in no hurry. He, he, he's having it. That's exactly what happened. So, man, when they get across there, what do they do? The next, read it when you get home. They have a song service. The song of Moses, hallelujah, hallelujah. The song of Miriam, hallelujah, hallelujah. And then they put Moses up for pastor of the year. He's pastor of the year. He's going to get. What happens next? There's no water. Bitter water. Mara. Oh, man, we got a sorry pastor of ours. Why in the world we ever bring this guy? Well, he puts a. A, a limb, a, a stick, a tree into the water, makes it sweet, it's great. But then they ain't got nothing to eat. You brought us out here to starve us to death. We had it so much better over there in Egypt whenever we were slaves and eating all that good stuff like they had cucumbers and all that garlic stuff. We had it great over there. We got nothing over here. Except we got nothing. What happens? God says in the morning, manna's going to be here. And then they, there's stuff. All, you know what manna means? What is it? <laughs> they didn't know what it was. What is it? It's God's food. Oh, man, go out there and gather it. We got all the food we need. Every morning it's there. We better save some. Uh-uh, it'll rot. Right? You see where the journey, you see how the journey, and then they have no water and have to strike the rock to get the water to come out of it. It's just like this and like this and like, but, but you know what happens? Whenever you get over to Exodus chapter 19, when you get to Exodus chapter 19, you find out something takes place. It says there in verse 1, In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Israel, and tell the sons of Israel. What, what is that? That's the fulfillment of the promise. That very mountain 
where he had talked to God, God said, you will, you will worship in this mountain again. And the only way you're going to worship is you've got to live. Pharaoh's not going to kill you. And even your Hebrew congregation is not going to kill you. You're going to make it. And you're going to worship back here on this mountain again. You see, promise given, promise fulfilled. Is it an easy journey? No, not an easy journey. Shorter journey than David's, but not an easy journey. Not at all. Well, I'm going to share with you Abraham next week. We'll hold that to Abraham. But let me, let me give you one to, to write down to look at when you get Because I want you to find this. I'm trying to get you to help find this pattern. I want you to look under John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verses 46 through 53. It's the story of the healing of the nobleman's son. The healing of the nobleman's son. Okay, this is a short one. Real short time from the promise given and the promise received. And then I want you to look under uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. It's about Peter. And it's whenever Jesus called Peter and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Was Peter real good at that to start with? No, he wasn't good at that at all. But does he finally become an awesome fisherman of men? On the day of Pentecost, at the gate called Beautiful, for the rest of his life. When was the promise given? When was the promise fulfilled? It's a pattern throughout all of Scripture. And then you can look at Abraham again. I want you to look at Abraham again, okay? I gave you Abraham before, and I want you to look at it again. Do y'all remember those verses? I'm sure y'all have them written down that I gave you before. But in case you happen to have missed where you wrote it down, let me give them to you, all right? Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He reaffirms it in Genesis 15, verses 4 through 6 and 18. And then he reaffirms it again in Genesis 17 through 19. And then you find out when those things are fulfilled. The interesting thing about Abraham, he has multiple promises. He doesn't have just one promise. He has multiple promises. I will bless you. You will have a land. You will have a posterity. You will have my protection. You'll have all these promises, Abraham. And every one of them are eventually fulfilled. Some in his lifetime, some after his lifetime. But they're all fulfilled. And he walks that pathway of the promise. So in your journey, when you're believing God, when you're looking for that promise, God gives you a promise. Remember, you just started a pathway don't know how long it's going to be, but if you will stay on it and stay faithful to it, you'll, you'll come to the end. You'll come to when you hold it in your hand. Amen? All right. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.